Welcome everybody to the Swan Me Podcast. This is your host, Khalif Adams. This is room. This is room. I was gonna say room. This is show 181 of our show. Uh, I am joined this week and every week my man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow, the man who makes STEM look good, who makes science look good, who makes tutoring look good, who makes mini froze look good. It is Sharif Jackson of SharifJackson.com. How are you, sir? What's up, man? Um, I have an issue with the French. What did you do to what's the French? Why? Why do you have beef with the French? So I love, love, love the Bastille Day celebration that they have in Milwaukee every year. Yeah. Um But what they are doing different this year is they essentially closed down almost all of uh downtown Milwaukee in a very confusing way. <laughs> so instead of being here on times, I can prep for this show and be here my normal Times I can get home, talk to my girlfriend, maybe get some water. I'm like going around a massive amounts of closures, uh, you know, and uh, one way streets and cops that don't even understand the directions that they're giving to cars. Uh, kind of going around. And Milwaukee's downtown is not that large. <laughs> so, oh. so I'm going around like the same streets and I come down. And you know what? None of this would have happened. <laughs> If they did not storm the Bastille Wall. So it kind of goes all the way back. Leave the French alone. To the 18th century. So oh, man. all that was leading to this point. You know, Sharif so. Jackson's uh, feelings and expressions do not reflect the, those <laughs> of the Spawn Me podcast. We love all people here, the French <laughs> especially. I love all you. Uh, I love all you. <laughs> also joining us this week is my lady, my mellow, the smoothest kind of... Tanya to pass. How are you? Doing? <laughs> I was like, "Where's that going?" I w- I was waiting to see if you could make that work, Khalif. I was trying to make it work. I'm gonna have to practice that. We got to figure that out and see how I can make that actually into a rhyme. Yeah, cello and me just it, nothing is gonna work out there, bro. The player of the cello, Tanya to pass of <laughs> I need to burst games. How are you doing? I'm fine, Khalif. How are you? I'm so good. I'm I'm really excited about. Today's show especially, but also last week's show was so much fun. We had su- we had such a blast. I think my wife my wife gave me this really interesting look when I came out of the room. Like she was like, "You had way more fun this show than you did in previous shows. What the hell were you all talking about?" And I was like, "I can't tell you. You're just gonna either have to listen or you're just gonna have to read the transcript, which there is none. Uh, so you have to figure it out on your own and just deal with having fun in the back of the room. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. I, yeah. I loved, uh, Taylor TC's reactions on Twitter. <laughs> Hi, Taylor. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was super fun. So thank you to everybody who listened last week. Um, again, we really appreciate the fact that you are all listening this week and every week to the show, uh, and sending out a lot of feedback and a lot of love to us on the social medias and all that good stuff. Um, but this week, we have a super, super awesome show and an amazing guest ready for everyone to listen to. Uh, we have the director of Gaming for Everyone from Xbox. We have Katie Jo Wright on the show with us this week. How you doing, Katie? How's everything going? Can't complain at all. It's beautiful in Seattle right now and uh, just living the life. How's Bastille Day treating you out in Seattle? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I am home already, so it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You don't have to worry about any road nope. closures or anything to that as well. So... So when I was at GDC this past year, I was there. Tanya was there. Uh, we we all went to the Blackson Gaming event uh, that was a part of the gaming gaming for everyone initiative and program. Um, you head up that program and, and, and helped to make all that beautiful stuff work. 
Um, I'm just curious about, you know, if you want to share with the folks at home exactly what Gaming for Everyone is um, and also dig into a little bit of, you know, your background, how you got into the business and how you started to, to go down this path. Sure. Um, well, so I'll start a little bit. I'll go, go my background first and then kind of that'll lead into Gaming for Everyone. Um, sure. So I well, in the games industry and then versus tech industry, I kind of separate them out a little bit. So I've been at Microsoft. Uh, this September will be 18 years, uh, which wow. blows my oh, mind because wow. I was only at first off. I didn't want to come to Microsoft at all because uh, both my older <laughs> sisters were there. And so I'm like the stubborn third one. I had to go do my own thing, but ended up there. Um, and then when I got there, I was like, hey, I'm only going to stay here for five years until I figure out what I really want to do. Well, 18 years later, I'm still there. Clearly sucked at leaving. Um, but I just, I feel like looking back now, I've had like four different careers, but just all at Microsoft. Um, but if, if you would have said, you know, 18 years ago that number one, that I'd still be here, I would have been like, no way you're smoking something. And then two, if you would have said, you're not only going to still be there, but you're going to be an Xbox, I would have been like, Hey, you're definitely smoking something and <laughs> I want some or something. But so that's like the career path that I've been. So I started in recruiting, was there for five years. Um, and spent most of that time on the college recruiting team, so hiring interns and then people are in core tech roles. Um, so I've always been on the engineering side of Microsoft. Um, and then from there, I was in like a talent management role. So how do we think about career paths and how do we think about um, providing common paths across the company? So as we were growing, like what happened in Windows was different than what happened in Office, let alone what happened in India or Germany or anything like that. So how do we think about growing our talent as a company? So I was there for seven years um, and then I moved to our diversity and inclusion team. And that was, I swear, I thought was gonna be my last spot um, at Microsoft. And so I was there for about four years, four and a half years. And um, while I was there, I worked with Xbox twice. So once when it was interactive entertainment business um, and Phil Spencer was the diversity and inclusion exec sponsor. So I got to know Phil then oh. um, hmm. and just how he thinks as a leader and, and all of that and I, huge amounts of respect for him. Um, and so I got to know the Xbox world then, um, and then reorgs happened and all that stuff, which Microsoft is known for. Um, and then about <laughs> two and a half years ago, um, I was, I don't even remember the name of the org, at, but Xbox was part of the org. It was within Windows. I think it was OSG or something. Um, but there were some conversations of leaders within Xbox. They were starting to have some conversations about diversity and inclusion and how can we we invest so much time and energy and resources, yet we're not making the progress that we would expect given how much effort we're putting into it. So they started having these conversations of how do we do things differently? And uh, the HR director at the time was, you know, at one point she's like, all right, KJ, you got to come be a part of this conversation. I think you need to be part of this. And I'm like, nah, nah, I mean, you know, that's not in my scope. You know, I'm supposed mm. to stay um, up a level, but the knowing Phil, knowing some of the other leaders within Xbox, I kind of went and from the very first discussion that I joined, I was like, huh. They really are doing things differently or want to do things differently. But, you know, everyone's kind of like, we got to do something different, but we don't know what. Um, and yeah. so that's kind of really where Gaming for Everyone started way before it had a name, way before I joined Xbox full time. Um, but so it came out of this desire to do things differently um, and make meaningful progress, not just a bunch of activity. And so I started getting mm. more involved with them, more involved until then it kind of became my night job. And what I was doing was way out of scope <laughs> for what my previous role was. Mm -hmm. um, and so then they you know, decided to, hey, let's really go after this. And so opened up a full-time job. And so I left the DNI team and moved to Xbox. 
Um, and now I just don't think I can go back anywhere else. Like, for real, I think this is my last stop at Microsoft. Because <laughs> after you work in Xbox, I just don't know how I can work anywhere else. Um, but so that's kind of where gaming for everyone kind of started. Um, but then it's evolved. So we had, we're, it's about two years old now, I would say. So the first year we were just internally focused within our own team. And how do we make it real and build awareness and define what it is and what it's not, which is just as important as defining what it is. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And then last year we started going externally and talking about it more. Um, but a big part of it was what can we do? What part of the stuff that we have done as an organization can we carry forward, like a lot of the community events, and you know continue to invest even more? And then what parts should we start doing brand new, and what parts should we just stop doing? Because um, it's mm -hmm. not yielding the results, or um, you know whatever. So there was a lot of conversations around that. So ultimately, now gaming for everyone is really how do we make Xbox a place where everyone has fun? Like mm. pretty simple, um, but in that it's recognizing that fun means different things to different people. So it's about enabling all types of fun. So it's not like taking away anything, but it's how do we expand um, and make it more inviting and more welcoming and more just kick ass for more people. So that's it in kind of a nutshell at the highest level. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely like to hear how you've had like a spirits kind of bouncing around it in like in like I would say the more I guess classic Microsoft teams like Windows and Office, like these like teams that have these established, you know, um, kind of you know like they've been around for like a long time. Were there any differences for you when Microsoft like decided to go in this new direction of gaming? I'm imagining that the Xbox team might have been a little different, maybe a little more like you know that that the vibe was like different because the gaming section wasn't as developed. And entrenched as like the other ones so like what kind of differences did like uh, you see kind of like working on like talent management and diversity and like recruiting in xbox versus in the other teams <laughs> so i i'm just kind of laughing and chuckling um as you're saying that because yes xbox <laughs> has been different from the very beginning even when like they were in a different <laughs> campus right they didn't even want to be in the same buildings and they everything was different about xbox um, but the funny thing about, well, I don't know how funny it is, but it's, I think it's human nature. Everyone kind of thinks their role and they're different and their job is, or is different from everyone else. So like my experience is totally unique. Um, and so when, and this came out when, um, we were doing the career planning for the previous or interviews and research for, um, in my two jobs ago, um, and everyone we'd ask about their career path and they'd be like, oh, you don't want to know mine. It's really unique. And I'm like, <laughs> literally everyone says that um but you can find <laughs> themes and um but the thing is is like when all the orgs when it came to talent came to people there's some things that are core and common across everyone um you know that passion to passion for technology passion to have an impact that willingness to dive in and solve really hard problems and so there's some things that are kind of core and common across um but then when it comes to culture though like gaming is such a unique culture and you know no matter how cool office might be to some people it's just never gonna have a culture and a fan following you know and all that like gaming know. does i think clippy has a follow true true clippy, has a clippy aside uh, <laughs> uh clippy, they have not been able to replicate the clippy following since and how many years has it been since clippy went away uh but wow. so and and i feel like now i'm saying that stuff that i used to always be like oh everyone says that but now that i'm in xbox <laughs> deeper and, and even gotten to know the gaming culture more um 
it, it truly is different um, than I would say a lot of the rest of tech. There's some core and common overlap, but I do see difference in the way that people care at a deep level. It's not just a job. It's not just a game. It's there's so much more to gaming and the gaming experience. Um, so that's from that side. But then also the people within the org. The funny thing is like to me what I've seen and it's just been fascinating to witness is that everyone in the org knows the whole product because when they leave they go home and play mm -hmm. so even if you're on the you know mm -hmm. content side you still know all the features of the platform you know when they launch you know everything because you experience it at home because everyone goes home mm -hmm. and uses the product but like in Azure people don't go home and hang out on the cloud right and like <laughs> learn the product inside and out they know the part of the product they work on but they don't go and hang out and learn the rest of the product in their free time and then talk about it and get forms you know and, and live it but within xbox people live the product and and i don't think that's unique to xbox i think that's the gaming industry they live what they do and so they know it end to end um so it's people are so committed to making that end-to-end -end experience good that that's it's it's contagious I would say being around it. I'm sure if Xbox was based in here here in Portland, everyone would go home and play on the cloud. <laughs> it, was, it was a whole different cloud, yeah, but it's the cloud. No <laughs> wow, you just you just went there already, Khalif. Hey, we're all family here. I know, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, uh -huh. But Katie Jo, I wanted to ask you because, like, I've actually had a chance to sit down and, and talk with you outside of of tonight's podcast. You know, you mentioned wanting Xbox to be a place where one can have fun and be comfortable and welcome. You know, aside from that, like social things, kind of what's a goal for for gaming for everyone? You know, will it will it grow? Will it become more of an external thing or will it remain more internal with certain presences outside of, of the campus? So I, I'll take one step back. At the highest level, when I think about success and what success looks mm -hmm. like, our number one business metric as an organization is our monthly active users or MAU, right? So that's what we mm -hmm. report out to Wall Street is how are we doing on MAU? And our goal is to get to 100 million. And in order to reach 100 million, we have to bring in new gamers, right? And so it's we mm -hmm. have to think more inclusive. We have to think broader. Um, and no one way is going to bring in that many more million monthly active users. So we've got to do it in a lot of different ways. Um, and so to your question of is it going to grow and are we expanding? I would say absolutely. Um, we're still very early in the journey and by no means have mm -hmm. figured it all out yet. Um, we still have a lot of learning to do. And um, but I think part of it is we're committed and we're going and we're learning and making mistakes and then picking ourselves up and keep going, um, making sure that we're learning from the mistakes so they don't happen twice. Right. Um, that could be another soapbox. Um, but so <laughs> learning and going there. But so and as we are definitely more established, even internally and um, figuring out. So we've got the communities externally. Um, we've got five communities that we are really heavily investing in um, from a gaming for everyone perspective. Xbox has tons of communities, but from a gaming for everyone perspective, we've got five communities that we're really investing in. Um, but then we're also looking at other ways that we can help influence the industry and where are opportunities mm. or gaps when it comes to making the industry a place where everyone can have fun. Um, you know, recognizing that we have a responsibility 
um, to contribute to that and we have an excitement and an interest to how do we raise all boats. There are some things that can be a competitive advantage, but there are some things that it's not about competition. It's about how do we help make the game industry thrive um, mm. and kind of how do we partner with other uh influencers or you know kind of whatever name you want to put on it but how do we partner as an industry to make this a place where people want to come people want to stay whether that's on the industry side or in the gaming or on and the consumer side um but Mm -hmm. so kind of a long long answer to yes we are growing yes we are expanding um and have a long (laughs) way to go (laughs) i want to i want to piggyback off tanya's question because one of the one of the kind of um focal points when I when I did the hosting gig at GDC was to kind of dig into, you know, uh, inclusion and diversity, but coming at it from uh, both gaming and activism, because um, I feel like that that is the thing that, you know, we're seeing happen in social spaces uh, that we all live in and, and, and work in and, and kind of enjoy. But we also, you know, use some of those things in our, you know, post work and after work spaces to kind of help push diversity and inclusion forward. Um, I'm always been curious about gaming for everyone and, and wondering if there is a place that Microsoft has thought about in the activism space. Um, and if there are any things that um, the initiative is kind of looking to do uh, specifically with maybe specific org, orgs like uh, Able Gamers or, or other, or other uh, folks in the space that are trying to look at social, social justice issues or issues that uh, involve uh, getting people, uh, getting their lives to be a little bit better besides the games that they're playing. So I didn't quite hear the end of that. You kind of cut out at a little bit, but... Um, Sh- sure, just- sure. Just, just, just asking if, the, if, if Xbox and, and Gaming for Everyone has been looking at um, kind of uh, bringing in or, or helping to, to boost activist spaces uh, that may be trying to combine uh, gaming and or uh, to be c- combine gaming and inclusion and diversity initiatives. Yes. Um, first, and also I want to say one thing, um, and this has been a semantics thing. And so a lot of people roll their eyes um, at me when I say this mm. internally, but it it's a subtle thing, but it has a big impact. And one is I gaming for everyone isn't an initiative. Um, and even mm. when like leaders will say it, I'll go step on their toe afterwards. And I'm, I'm going to swear, I'm going to get that word out of their mouth at some point. Um, but the reason for that, and so that's why I kind of being a smart aleck, but also is that an initiative is something that like people do on the side, right? When you're at work mm. an initiative, it has a start and a stop. It's a side thing. And right. a lot of times it's when you do it, when you're finished with your real job. Right. And so from the beginning, it's been a principle that's guiding us that gaming for everyone isn't this side thing. It's part of our core business. And so Mm. like from a our vision and our mission and everything that we do is you can see a direct line up to the team Xbox. So our metrics and everything has a direct line to the business. Um, And so it's kind of you know, bringing it to that and how do we integrate it as opposed to this thing that's over here that if you want to get involved, you can, if not, that's fine. Um, you know, so we, we've separated it from that. Um, and it also, um, yeah, I, that's another soapbox. I won't, I won't go down that one. Um, but to your question around activism. Um, mm-hmm. so I, w- I would say yes. And we're doing it kind of through, several ways there are some ways we're just employees who are passionate about a certain thing how do we enable and empower and give them a channel um to get involved in things that they are passionate about in one way or another and there are some corporate things like the giving campaign 
um, which we have every October, um, or just volunteer hours, which I know a lot of um, employees within Xbox do around gaming and whether that's getting kids excited or, you know, all sorts of different things that they can do there. Um, then from the community space, a lot of the individual communities have identified ways that would where activism would be meaningful to them. So you brought up Able Gamers, and one of our communities, one of the five, is gaming and disability. And so with Able mm -hmm. Gamers, with Warfighter Engaged, um, with Special Effect in the UK, um, very involved in those nonprofits, um, and whether it's helping them with hardware or whatever and figuring out what are their needs. So our community lead there gets to kind of decide they've got a certain budget, and then how do they want to go... Um, and make things meaningful internally and externally within their community. So we give each community lead some flexibility around that so that they can tailor to whatever's gonna be most meaningful. Um, Cause I don't want just like a blanket peanut butter approach. Um, that's one sure. of the things we're trying to do differently. Like within Xbox, having that ability mm -hmm. to um, tailor things a little bit more. Um, but then the other thing that has actually been a really interesting experience um, and thing to witness internally is we have these things called, and actually, uh, Tanya, I think you came to one when you were there as a live chat. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So these are just open discussions. And, and, and frankly, when, we, when I joined Xbox, um, I started this as kind of an experiment um, as a way for me to kind of get to know the employee base a little bit more and like what's top of mind mm. for employees. Like I talk to leaders and I talk to here and there and all over, but what's top of mind um, and what's, what's a hot topic for people. And so we start, it's every other week for one hour. It's an open conference room, no agenda, no anything. The only expectation is that you come um, and with an interest to learn um, and to engage. And so it's a welcoming space, space, and there's been hot topics where debates and emotion, <laughs> highly emotional. Um, but it's it's important because it's not about. Um, I'll just say there, it's a space for anything to come up. So we can say like after the election, you know, November 9th happened to be a live chat day, and that was a very hmm. you know interesting conversation on all sorts of levels. But it's a space <laughs> for employees to come and process. Right. So as so it's been really cool because there's been a it's a place where if we're coming to process things that, that happen as Xbox, like after E3, everyone kind of gathered and it was all about the hot topics and, you know, what came out of the briefing and this and that and articles here or there. So it's product based. But then also when things just happen in life, it's also a place to come and process. Right. Like after the Women's March, mm. there was lots of discussions and not everyone agreed with it, but there's a lot of discussion. So it's it's a place for rich discussion and learning. Um, or, you know, there's a there was a big Black Lives Matter march in Seattle and a lot. of And so we're processing that or after, you know, a shooting or a verdict comes out that, you know, no one's happy about. Um, then people come and process. And it's interesting to be able to process mm. with other employees because that's it allows you to bring kind of your whole self to work right and so we're recognizing that that you're not just an employee yeah. but everyone's got a lot of a lot of things going on um and so the live chat isn't it's more of like an internal way of activism um but then also through that uh people have connected with each other when they find a, a shared interest or a shared passion then they can take that and it continues on outside the live chat if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I, I love that you mentioned how, like, you kind of clarified, um, you know, that gaming for everyone is not an initiative, that it is kind of built into the 
core business because I do feel like, you know, that's the real way to get things done and to convince, you know, the people that not, not, not people that only care about numbers, but the people that like say, what's the business relevance of this stuff? Like it kind of answers that like question. And that's something that I know personally. And in my like networks, that's something at companies that I used to work for. We've always tried to push, like we've always tried to push initiatives to make a difference and to, as you say, bring your whole self to work. Um, you know, but all of us always ran against walls at our respective organizations. So I was wondering if like, you could share sort of maybe like some, some of the pros and cons and like things that you've learned along the way to, to, to um, take this thing and to, you know, have Phil Spencer, you know, issue a press release about it and like make it clear that it is a, a business priority. So I think one of the biggest differences, and I when I looked back, when I came to Xbox and started inter and interviewed for the role, it was interesting because I looked back on my career, and in every role, there's been some part of my job that I made about diversity and inclusion. Um, so I, if, I've kind of taken bits and pieces of that. Ever since when I first started at Microsoft, I actually sat around the corner from the diversity and inclusion team, and I was like, whoa, that's a job? Like, I was blown away, and I was fascinated. I'm like, you get paid for that? And like, <laughs> what? Um, but in every role, there's been bits and pieces that I've learned and and I feel like has culminated into a lot of the things that are showing up in Xbox um, and in what works and what doesn't. And part of that is in what activities are you go after, but then in how you position it, how you measure it, what even it is. Do you go after one thing at a time or 10 things at a time? Um, and if the, I think when with gaming for everyone and coming to Xbox, a lot of stars aligned at the same time in that from you have mm. leaders so not just phil but then the group of leaders which were mostly phil directs who were getting together on a regular ba like weekly basis to talk about how do we do things differently right so they were getting to a point of frustration uh, we've been at this for a long time we're not seeing progress how do we do it differently so there was an appetite for change at a leadership level which a lot of times doesn't happen not all leaders but there's a group of leaders um but then there's also an appetite from the organization where we at Satya had just come in as our CEO, game changer when it comes mm. to a, a lot of things in this space, right? And from an inclusion space um, and willingness to think differently. Um, but then also things in the industry where diversity and inclusion as a topic and post Gamergate and post a lot of different things were starting to come up. Um, so there was an appetite there for change and doing things differently. But I think at the core, um, with gaming from everyone from the beginning, it's been product focused first, as opposed to a lot of other things mm -hmm. are people focused first. So let's train the people, go to training, go to a sensitivity training, go to an inclusion training, go to whatever. But like all of the research shows you that human behavior does not change from a training. Human behavior changes, right. adult human mm -hmm. behavior, I should say. 70% of adult learning happens through on the job. Only 10% of behavior change is a result of a training. Yet our first instinct in the corporate mm -hmm. America is when you need to learn something, you go to a training. Awesome. There's a fascinating training. And two weeks later, I can't tell you shit about what I learned in that training, but it was great. Hey, <laughs> right. But so what we've done here and the other piece, too, is with making it product first and focusing on the product that automatically engages everyone in the organization. So when you call it a and I also don't call gaming for everyone a diversity and inclusion program 
because that phrase hmm. to a lot of people in tech industry especially can have a lot of baggage right and and when right, you say diversity right, inclusion right. it's like boom i put that in a box i know exactly what that means and so they disengage right away right. And they're like i'm not a part of that and i'm like yes you are a part of it if you're in this job you're a part of it and this org you're a part of it if you're on this earth you're a part of it right and so um I don't call it a diversity and inclusion program, so it's somewhat like a Jedi mind trick I've been trying to pull on everyone from the beginning. Um, now I just blew my cover. Um, but it, because it's really about how do we take our product and make it one that as many people as possible is going to enjoy, right? No one's going to fight that. No one's going to mm. be like, nope, I only want this small group of people to like my product. Um, and if they do, it's like, all right, cool. I'll see you in five years when you're gone out of business because those that small group of people isn't around anymore. Um, or whatever the case may be. Right. But when it's product focused first, more people come to the table with that willingness to learn. And then it's the kind of the baby steps along the way of exposing things, not in a judgment way, like I can't believe you did that or, or whatever, but exposing things about a, just a different way of doing it, not right or wrong, but there's a different way of doing it. Um, and a more inclusive mm -hmm. way of doing it because, and also helping people to recognize that inclusion does not happen by default. You have to be very intentional about inclusion um, and just from a human nature perspective, right? And then there's all the unconscious biases and then people are like, no, I grew up in the city. I don't have unconscious bias. I'm like, yeah, right. You're a human being. You have them. Like your brain processes <laughs> you know, 40 million pieces of data in a second. You, you got them. Like get over that. You do. But it's do they serve you or not, right? Some of them get in your way. Some of them enable you to just survive in the world. Um, but so I think starting and keeping the focus on the product, the people are coming along, right? And changing and learning and growing and, and the conversation is shifting, but it's all product focus as opposed to people focus. Cause then people get too defensive and walls go up and then it's 30 years later and you're still having the same conversation about representation or wage gap or, you know, all of these things, which are still very real, but it's, I think the approach to the conversation, um, an approach to the change has been, we've, we've done it in a little bit of a different way. We're giving it a shot. But Kitty Joe, you mentioned before, like, you know, it's still early on, you all are learning and growing. And I was wondering kind of what have been things that you've like either tried, obviously that you can talk about and that have had to shift or priorities that have shifted as gaming for everyone kind of formed was more internal is now, you know, slowly kind of going external with events and things like that. Because, you know, a lot of people want to do diversity inclusion, you know, call it whatever they want to call it, but they, it seems like there's a lot of, I'm going to do X and people don't change in six months, so therefore it's a failure. So, mm -hmm. so, I mean, we've seen, we've all seen this. So I was wondering kind of like what, what lessons have you all learned and how have you had to shift priorities for gaming for everyone as, as you continue to grow and learn? So I think setting the expectation to what you just said is like ultimately what we're trying to do is drive culture change right and it's it's in so i say mm -hmm. gaming for everyone is ultimately successful not only when we hit 100 million mal but when i'm out of a job and it doesn't need to exist anymore because it's just part of our dna of what it means to be in team xbox right so setting that expectation from the beginning right. to your point that in six months we're not going to see uh, a light bulb automatically go off or whatnot change in this space happens in a lot of little ways um and so a, a big part of it has been highlighting those little wins in the way and celebrating those signs of 
um, and others have been in, okay, when there's a little failure or a little lesson learned, how do we highlight that little lesson um, and then kind of extend the learnings from there? Um, and some of it has been in words we use, um, like internally even in, in a presentation or in a leader or a leader speaking and how we show up and like what we choose to talk about. Um, and you know how we talk what we talk and what we're talking about and who we're talking to so little lessons learned there um but i'm trying i, I feel and the reason i'm struggling right now is i feel like there's lessons learned every single day and that sounds cliche or sounds kind of cheesy um hmm. but i would say on the regular work we're constantly readjusting and so we have a a leadership team that includes executive sponsors end-to-end -end across Team Xbox, and we meet monthly for two hours. And so we are constantly, we've got, yes, we've got an annual plan and we've got all these things in the works, but we are constantly revisiting things. Um, and what are things that we need to amplify? What are things we need to turn down because it's not working or shift or tweak um, a little bit? But I think um, one of the lessons that we got early on, and especially from a ex you know, when in an external conversation. So at GDC, we've been having, um, or in some some of the groups we're starting to have within each of the communities, having what you know, hosting like a roundtable discussion or something to to better understand that community's experience within the gaming industry um, as a gamer, and then also within the Xbox ecosystem of what can things that we can do. Um, and it was GDC two years ago. We had a roundtable with LGBTQ in gaming group and some um key influencers mm. that you know some people like gordon bellamy helped organize that i heard you have spoken about gordon several times on this podcast um but then also he was at the blacks and gaming event and part of mm -hmm. your fireside chat um but in that conversation when you know we were asking like I can't even remember who asked the question, but they were said, you know, so we're in this and we have the best of intentions and our hearts there and we're learning along the way. But what happens if we make a mistake and someone just like straight out to check yourself? Mm. Like it's not if it's when. And so and it's not if you make a mistake. It's, right. And so I think we took that back. And so then their response back was and when you do make a mistake, it's how you respond. Do you respond? Do you make a public response about it? And what are you going to commit to doing differently moving forward? Right. And so that was we took that lesson back and shared that with the whole Xbox leadership team and with everyone else. So it's it kind of gives permission to try something new without the expectation that we have to be perfect. And in this space, so many times there's a fear that people don't want to try or they don't want to get in the conversation. And so then therefore progress never happens because we don't learn. Um, so I think part of it has been setting that expectation mm. that there will be mistakes made. We're not trying to do it intentionally and it's not an excuse by any means to be flamboyant or flippant with things. Like we still need to be very mm. committed, but if we make a mistake, it's how we respond and what we do afterwards. And then everything we put in place to make sure that mistake doesn't happen again. One of, one of the things that has been kind of, you know, I've been gaming since I was three, I'm 38 now. So it's interesting to have seen the evolution of the tech that has gone from, you know, that point forward to now and all the kind of milestones and steps that have been there uh, in between in between those time frames. One of the kind of um, uh, most pivotal points that I've noticed was the addition of party chat on the Xbox platform and that being a thing that 
kind of changed how we communicate in spaces, both uh, with our friends and with the kind of outside circles. If you think about the concentric circles on trees and things and that in those spaces, right? What has it been in the you know in the eighteen years that you that you've been with Xbox and especially with the Xbox team and now especially with gaming for everyone? How have you seen the tech behind what you are all uh, using and playing with and building? Um, kind of help to make some of these spaces more inclusive, more diverse. And, you know, do you ever think that we're going to get back to a place where not necessarily uh, folks are kind of going to be in the uh, non uh, uh, kind of closed off private chats, but get back into spaces where we're kind of actually gaming with everyone in those other kinds of outside spaces? Because, you know, maybe, you know, things have gotten a little bit better and the discourse has gotten a little bit better. Do you think we're ever going to kind of get back to some of that? Or do you think that, you know, we're going to be in our, our private chats hanging out for the rest of our gaming life? I would love to see it where it's not an either or right. where you have the choice. Right. And so that's where like right now, a lot of our conversations are, um, you know, how do we bring as much choice, <laughs> choice and customization? I was combining those two words. Um, how do we bring as much choice and customization to the gaming experience as possible? Mm. So you get to choose: do you want to be in a private chat, or do you want to go into that open forum and be matched with whoever, um, or play with whomever? And and it's not even to say like you have to pick one setting and that's your setting for life. But like mm. you have a great day, you might want to go and play with you know whoever. Um, or you might have a really crappy day and want to just be with your people and be able to, you know, show up in a different way gaming that night. So, like, I, I see the technology evolving to allow for more choice and more options so that you can customize your own gaming experience. Um, and then who knows where it's going to take us in the future as far as what those options and, you know, uh, which is what those options are as far as what we can choose from. Um, and I, I just see that list growing. Um, but I, I hope that it's not an either or. And it's, you know, in order to game, you have to do this or you have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but then, I mean, there's even how do we enable gaming for people who don't use their voice or don't want to use their voice, but still right. want to play multiplayer and still want to engage in a lot of ways. I mean, just by relying on voice alone excludes a ton of people from the gaming yep. experience. And mm -hmm. so how do we, you know, think through things like that? And that's, again, how do we provide more choice for them to still engage and have a meaningful experience, but not reliant on any one input? Yeah. So um, earlier you mentioned sort of how, you know, one of the big things you notice in the gaming industry is people kind of living, you know, like uh, working on this stuff at work and then going home as users and like actually playing this uh, the, the, this uh, stuff. Has that kind of process introduced you to any specific games or genres that you might not have normally paid attention to and does that kind of differ from some of the games that you may have played like before you joined microsoft for sure hmm. um like most so i've been at microsoft for a long time but only been at xbox for the last two or so years right. okay. before i joined so growing up i played a ton of games and was always playing and with you know me and my i have a brother who's 18 months younger um we played a lot of games right. um but then i don't know why i just kind of stopped playing games and now once i joined xbox i'm like how what i i don't know why it just kind of happened and i right. i don't think i ever made a conscious choice but i stopped playing 
But then as I got to, you know, more of an adult and, you know, a boyfriend would be playing Halo or something like that. So I play a little bit here or there, but never really got into it. And to me, that was Xbox, was mm. first person shooters um, or sports games. And I'm an athlete, so I was always like, why do I want to play it on the, you know, right. video game? I want to go play it outside. <laughs> like, and so I'd always go challenge people out that way. But in it was so funny when I first joined Xbox. I um, I've had an Xbox since Xbox 360, but it was primarily used as a DVD player or <laughs> you know to watch Hulu and stuff like that, and Netflix. Um, until I joined Xbox and started seeing all these other games. And as I've been here, I'm like, what? Like if I would have known there were games like this, I probably would have been playing all along. Um, but how do I know? And so it's like, how do? I know a ton of people who have an Xbox who don't launch it for games, launch it for all sorts of other stuff, but not games. And so, hi, that's a ripe audience right there. They already got it sitting in their living room, mm. but how do they do it? But like, so a lot of the games that like I've been really excited about, um, like one actually with my 15 uh, year old stepson who came in here at the beginning, Never Alone. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if you guys have played that mm. game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. we've been playing. We've been playing it together. And that is so fun. Not only can we, you know, so couch co-op, we're playing it together, but I love that, you know, you each bring unique skills, you have to solve problems together, and then you learn about um, the Inuit tribe. So right. it's got this cultural component too. And so like, love that. And that's been super fun to play, um, you know, or fragments of him, like, I, you know, um, met, oh my gosh, now I'm totally blanking on his name, Matis sorry um at at gdc in one of our community events he was telling me about his games so i went and played it and I, it was it's a very emotional game but it was it was a i had no idea that there were games like that mm. right that were really story driven or life is strange yes. like, wow <laughs> yeah right and yeah. so to me it's like that's not just going in this myth that i had in my head of playing a game and where i would sit on my xbox and watch a house of cards marathon and not think that that's a waste of time for five hours but <laughs> playing a game what that's a total waste of time right but like what that that makes no sense at all um and so that's been kind of like being a part of xboxes i've seen so many more games that are just fascinating and i'm like dang what have i been missing out on all these years um because it's really fun to play a lot of different types of games and I didn't realize how many different types of games there were um, and so I think part of gaming for everyone too that I would love to see is um, demystify some of the the myths of what who a gamer is right. um, what does a gamer look like what does a gamer do mm. um, all that there's so many just stereotypes around it even though you look at data but then right after you look at that data then you still picture what's in your head like how do we shift that perception but that's an I could go off on that for a long time. <laughs> no, actually, you know what? Things I, I want to do there. I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. Like, what are some yeah. of All the right. what are some of the kind of surprising stats that you've seen behind the scenes? That kind of, uh, of course, stuff that you can't actually talk about. Uh, some of the stats that you have seen uh, that have kind of talked about the diversity in the space that we don't necessarily hear about often. We still have the conversation uh, be around kind of the cis white male uh, being being kind of main component that people are trying to kind of capture as far as, you know, sales and things like that. H have you heard anything? Have you seen all the data that is out there saying that maybe that this is not necessarily like we all know the case? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think to, to someone, I can't remember who asked me the question earlier, sorry, but about the business case for diversity yep. and inclusion, right? right? So many leaders are wrapped up in the business case. 
and they want to know the stats and in so many of the stats and then you look at an online gaming and people may or may not especially from a marginalized community want to put it's all Mm self-identify right so i may Mm -hmm. not want to put in there that i'm a woman and you know whatnot in the details so there's a huge caveat to the data Mm -hmm. when it talks about who's actually playing the games because it is all self-identify um but to me i'm like we don't necessarily the data it helps us identify trends Mm -hmm. um and get but i don't want to base everything just off the data because there are so many caveats i'm like just look around right do you think we've got a diverse representation in the gaming industry whether it's in the content whether it's in the people or whatnot just look around and you tell me um and so it's even that just the eye check um but so i think one of the things that's I have kind of fun doing um, is we'll sit there and talk about data and like even talking about the average age of a mm. gamer, right? So from the ESA, they say the average game is, gamer is 35 mm-hmm. now and 44% um, are of gamers are women, of the most active gamers are women. You, I look at different reports and it's 41% or 52% or whatnot, but in the range, right? Mm-hmm. So it's getting close to 50-50 even from a gender split. But then you sit there right after you say the numbers and then you can say, okay, now picture a gamer in your head. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, right. and so then everyone kind of gets this, you know, chitinin grin on their face and they're like, oh, and I'm like, why? What'd you picture? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they pictured an 18 to 24 year old white male straight sitting in their parents' basement eating uh-huh. Cheetos. Right. And so it's like you have the whole stereotype or this perception in your head so deep, it's down to what he's eating. Right. And, you know, and his sexual orientation, even though I just told you some stats, but yet that that perception is so ingrained in from so many different aspects. And so how do we start to even shift that perception of who actually is playing games? Because we know that's not true. All the data tells us that's not true. Mm. Yet that's what's reinforced all the time everywhere we see it. And so that's why when we think about you know things, it's, it's really kind of end-to-end across the business. So it's not just in what we're creating. That is a huge part of it. Um, but it's also in what we're talking about mm-hmm. um, and how we're engaging. This is one of the – and I'm, ha- I'm so happy you said that because it's, it's been a, um, uh, a thing that – I have been. I know. I know. Tanya specifically has been. Um, we've both been kind of railing against this. So not railing against it. But we've been talking about it a lot. No, I've been like, railing. What? Oh, you've been railing. I've been <laughs> railing. Shout, shout out to railing. <laughs> um, <laughs> is nice. the 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 streaming spaces that we all wind up being in, both Twitch, uh, mostly Twitch, honestly, but because because mixer mixer is not new. But I feel like it doesn't have the the same mind share when you talk about uh, the streaming platforms that Twitch does, to be honest about it. The interesting thing is they don't have a console. They don't have a thing thing to play their games on in the same way that Xbox does. Or they don't have a program that's, that's working specifically to try to get those things done. But Mixer is totally in the wheelhouse, right? Are there any are there any things that are happening between gaming for everyone and the mixer side? Because one of the things that we have been fussing about is the fact that representation, even in the streaming spaces, is off in a lot of ways. Where we talk about people who uh, are on the front page of whatever uh, streaming platform or when they have meetups or when they have events, those folks don't necessarily get um, top billing or at least a, a share of the space. 
Are there any things that, that are any conversations that are happening uh, between the Mixer crew and the, the GFE crew uh, about how there can be some kind of help and shared spaces in those in those places, too? Absolutely. And I'm kind of chuckling because I've had so it's Thursday today. I've had, I think, three meetings this week um, with the Mixer team and with and from different parts, whether it's from the mm. programming piece to how do we get partners from for streamers. Um, but that is definitely part of the conversation. And it's it's kind of like we feel like we've got a this unique opportunity in which Mixer is still smaller. And so how do we shape it to be an inclusive streaming place from the beginning? Mm, um, nice. And how there are some things that we, because it is smaller and this newer and we're kind of evolving it a little bit. And, and it's a testing ground too for testing things out. But as we're thinking about who do we bring on on partners and all of that, it is definitely part of the conversation of making sure that we're reaching out to um, very, <clears throat> excuse me, very diverse groups um, and also leveraging our communities for that. Mm. Um, the, the, those five communities that we're talking about. So we've been working with the community leads um, to say, hey, who in your community should we be talking to? Who mm. is a streamer? Who is active in this space? Who you think would be great to have on Mixer? Who is aligned with our values? Who would be supportive of building the type of inclusive community? Um, because, you know, we want to... Um, toxicity is real <laughs> right i know i'm not saying any nope. like anything novel um but like <laughs> how do we kind of try to set some t set a tone from the beginning mm. around how we think about that in our in our streaming service yeah it's and so i'd say no, no, that's, that was perfect. That was exactly what I was hoping to hear because it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about this internally because of our, our um, charity event that we do. And we're always looking for, for places that will help to kind of signal boost what we try to do, especially because we do, you know, we work with charities that most folks definitely when they hear what we're doing, they're like, hmm, that's a little bit out of the wheelhouse for things that we're semi-comfortable with. It has nothing to do with children or old people. Uh, so we're not going to mess with y'all. Um, but it's nice to hear that this is something, this is a part of the conversation that's absolutely happening. And it definitely means that uh, we'll be looking to possibly check out Mixer as the place that we do the next Swamp for Good because I think it would fit. And I think that there are lots of parts with the interactivity and, and the fact that hearing that, again, there is this this backbone uh, which is great to also hear this backbone of trying to make sure that the space is better and that more people are active uh, and, in, and included in the conversation is 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 really nice to hear. I, I didn't know that it ran so deep. I thought it was an initiative. And to hear that it's not <laughs> makes it even better yeah, that's and, great. and even more cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, let me know when you're ready to do that. I uh, hook you up or connect you with someone. Yeah, I may, I may know somebody yeah. that you know. We don't know yeah. the people. Perfect. Right. Good, good. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely make that happen. Um, yeah. So we're about to get up out of here. Um, Katie, thank you so much yes, for coming on the show. Thank I'm you. so happy we finally got a chance to meet. Um, hopefully, if you know next next show that, that that all of us are there at, we hopefully if you're there, we'll hang out and, and go chop it up and talk about all the good stuff that's working up for GFE. Um, if there's any uh, social media uh, links that you want to share, uh, any places that if folks want to learn more or, or be able to get into contact with you about what they want to do in the space, uh, share that out with the folks in Bracago today. Um, oh, I so wish this conversation was in a few months because we will have so many more. <laughs> uh, you can always come back. There's an open spot for you. Okay, there we go. That I'll do that. Cause, so right now, a lot of our the external site is more of like 
where we push and publish information as opposed to we want to create a spot where we can have that ongoing or a dialogue back and forth sure. um, and hear from people as and actively um, engage. So in a couple months, we will have much cooler <laughs> ways to engage and interact. Awesome. So it's in the works. more to come. Very, very cool. Yeah. All right, everybody. That is Katie J. Wright. This gaming for everyone. We're going to get up out of here for our break. This is episode 181 of the Spawn Me podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Spawn Me listeners. This is the crew of the Optional Podcast coming to you each week from New York City, where we host a show all about the latest in video games and entertainment. Our podcast is on a mission to highlight more voices of color in games media. We represent those who love the art form but don't fit in with the gamer status quo. So be sure to check us out at theoptionalpodcast.com. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and YouTube. We're not your typical gaming podcast. This is video game commentary for the rest of us. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Macedonia of Radio B-Sats, both sides of the surface, and you are tuned in to Bracago's finest, Khalif Adams, Cicero Holmes, Sharif Jackson. This is the Spawn on Me podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 181 of the Spawn on Me podcast. We had a fantastic fantastic interview with katie j wright uh from gaming for everyone uh again shout out to her and thank her so much for for rocking with us in bricago i think we all learned a bunch of really cool stuff about gaming for everyone and it's been really nice to see that xbox is xbox is taking this conversation uh pretty seriously about how they want to kind of look at what they want to do with their platform and move forward uh, in the space so it's, it's really cool to see them uh making these uh these strides it's really dope yeah ab- absolutely and like i think that it really to me has a lot of context to the sort of diversity of games that microsoft showed at e3 they really i feel like you know were it, it, it was a really different presentation from their other ones where they really did try to highlight the diversity of genres and like and, and and like people in there, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was connected to sort of this being like you know like sort of the the attempt to integrate gaming for everyone into the sort of core business. So 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 super excited with um, how how it will roll out in the future and like how. You know, like Microsoft won't just be, you know, as like Mary, sorry, as, as, as like Katie just said, like, you know, she thought initially that it was just like first person shooters and racing games on there. And I think Mm. a lot of people do still have that stereotype, you know, of, of, um, you know, of, of uh, Xbox. So, so I'm glad that they're putting their best foot forward and, you know, really showing that there's more out there. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm, I'm glad they're going to be at the diversity lounge of PAX West to show more external facing stuff. That mm-hmm. is at a, a more accessible place because, you know, Khalif, you and I were at GDC, but not everybody can go to GDC or needs right. to. So right. it'll be good to have that presence in a place where more fans and more gamers are versus just more industry professionals. Word. Ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll see our, our homes, our homies, uh, any key out there, too. That would be really dope. We're repping with any diverse games and the rest of the folks that we love uh, from the diversity side of things in the diversity lounge. Uh, that would be super cool. Um, one of the other things that is happening in our time frame in this time continuum is that Metal Gear Solid or Metal Gear the franchise has turned, oh my God, 30 years old. What in the fizznuck is that about? Yeah. <laughs> Why? How? How did time fly this fast? July 13th, 1987 was the year 
and date in which Metal Gear has spawned its way into our lives. And now, 30 years later, it is kind of still going strong uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, do you, do you think do you think it still has the kind of relevance that we you know that we think? I mean, I I have you know it's one of my favorite franchises of all time, but I'm from that that era where I was there when it first came out. Do you, do you feel like it still resonates with folks uh, even to this day? I mean, I think you know even without Kojima, the brand name itself, you know, when when a Metal Gear game launches. It's still an event, even like, you know, like the ones that will come out without, you know, without Kojima on it or, you know, um, and like, you know, and, and like and like these you know things that will definitely be coming out in the future. I think that it's still an event. I think you don't have to have played the original 1987 game to appreciate these like newer games that are obviously much more complex and deep in conspiracies and all that stuff. Like I haven't played through all the metal gears by any means um but i did play quite a bit of metal gear 5 um and 4 um and uh you know i I think that they definitely have left their mark on the culture even if it's not you know a game that you particularly love i i think that it's still kind of objective to say that the game has been hugely influence influential especially in terms of really you know, showing games how to properly do like a stealth game, you know, mm. um, um, starting out from the from the from the two D perspective and then bringing that into into three D and like you know like the whole exclamation point and the sound that you hear when you're discovered is sort of like one of those gaming sounds that I feel like should be up there with like you know the Mario coin and Sonic ring and and like all that kind of stuff. So I think that that like yeah I, I don't I don't think you have to be from that era per se to appreciate it um you know and I I actually think it's a little underappreciated I think it's appreciated as a modern game but I think when you think of you know the long franchise I think that you know you tend to think of you know the Mario's and the Zelda's you know and like those kind of games and like I don't think Metal Gear really gets the props that that it deserves for literally being a 30-year-old franchise which is nuts that is pretty crazy, right? That's like one of the yeah. Like I, I didn't think about it when, until you said it about the actual like sounds of the game. That's one of those things that I didn't really pay attention until you know thinking about the kind of runs that we saw at uh, Games Done Quick. You know, where you hear all those noises over and over and over again, and they're stuck in your head, yeah. and how they're how they're specifically attached to Nintendo. But like now, I'm thinking about the exclamation point sound and the codec sound, mm-hmm. and how yeah. and how those things just like whenever you hear them, you know exactly what those things are. Tanya, did you have any uh, like attachment to or, or or like of or interest in the Metal Gear series at all? I did. I played them, and I was always terrible at them. Um, and I just had that moment in my head when y'all were talking of like 1987. I was a freshman in high school. Oh my god. Right. Um, but you know, even now when you see a cardboard box, you kind of have that yes. split second. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, can I hide under that? Or you know, you make the joke about cardboard boxes and your friends the game get it. So it's definitely been a, a cultural thing for me. I think you know, personally more so than Nintendo because there's a mm. lot of games where I'm just like. I get the reference, but 
Yeah. You know, something I grew up with and I can make that noise. Like if you hear that noise in a crowded room, you know exactly who what's yep. going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've I've like heard that noise as people's like text message like before, like their text message alert and like so many people turn around when you hear it. <laughs> like it's like it's like, oh no, I, I gotta go hide somewhere. You know? <laughs> like I've been discovered. Oh no. <laughs> That is super. Yeah, that's super dope. I mean, shout out to shout out to the Konami team, you know, pre evil Konami before they walled <laughs> out and started fucking with Kojima and all that stuff. But it's like they definitely did lay the groundwork for so many games that I now love um, and have played, you know, Valume as a game that's fairly recent that you definitely can tell had some of its uh, uh design docs kind of pulled from metal gear and things like that deus ex you know any stealth game yeah. uh that that has you sneaking around got that from metal gear it feels yeah like, and, so. and and like not only complete stealth games but almost every game has some kind of stealth mission you know or yeah. like there's one part where like you have to kind of creep around and those are all definitely get their get their lineage from metal gear i think mm-hmm. um, so like yeah it's had a huge impact huge impact yeah, totally, totally. So, again, you know, shout out to everybody on that side of the fence. Shout out to Japan for making that happen. <laughs> shout out to Konami for making that happen. Shout out to Gojima. Shout out to uh, David Hayter for hooking us up with the dopest oh, drop on yes. the planet. That's a great drop. Giving me some love, which is still in my heart. <laughs> love you, David Hayter. Love you, David Hayter. Um, word. Um, one other thing that is definitely in my heart of hearts of a thing that I love and have grown up with is wrestling. Uh, <laughs> wrestling has always been a thing that, you know, I have paid attention to. I have brought out my uh, alter ego at a PAX event, Kaka Beware, uh, to, 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 to showcase my love of wrestling at PAX Mania. Uh, one of the games that has been at the forefront of the gaming conversation and the wrestling conversation has always been the fire pro series um, because of its ability to let folks take their imaginations and run wild with uh, created characters and custom characters. Uh, The folks over at Kotaku just ran a story this week that talked about fire pro wrestling's um, release that just hit this week in early access. Uh, But already since the time of this recording, Already 2,000 custom characters have been created for this game. <laughs> That's so that wild. That is madness. So for folks who may not be um, too attuned to uh, uh, Fire Pro Wrestling as a, as a brand, as a franchise, it's one of those games where uh, it has this kind of top-down isometric look. Um, and it, looks, it always has looked kind of janky. Uh, it's never looked super polished. But the thing that people loved about it was the fact that you could recreate, because it wasn't a licensed game, you could recreate any of your favorite wrestlers from any of the eras that you wanted to, from any of the other federations that you wanted to. So you would have all these dream matches where folks would pull in folks from the WWE or WWF back in the day, uh, WCW, New Japan Wrestling, and all the other uh, wrestling federations that you had. And now to see that already folks have made 2,000 characters is mind-blowing. I guess, Tanya, if you had the ability to create any person, any character, anything, any being, any Dragon Age character. You you ain't shit. Any Dragon Age character and put it into Fire Pro Wrestling, who would you put into Fire Pro Wrestling? 
Um, if I could put any Dragon Age character, I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I pigeonholed you into yeah, Dragon Age. Yeah, no, right? I would just say That's thanks, terrible. thanks. That's okay. I still like you. Um, <laughs> I would go with Fenris. Um, but actually, I would probably try to put Sephiroth in there if no one beat me to it. Because, <laughs> like, come on, Sephiroth is like the total first emo boy with his long hair and his sword and he dressed all in black and got mommy issues. And, <laughs> like, I would sounds totally like put Sephiroth. <laughs> sounds like a. What were you going to say? It sounds like a perfect wrestler. There you go. Mommy issues, sword, long hair. Like, that's his gimmick. That's his whole gimmick is, is talking to mom that is not really there. Um, yeah, I would put Sephiroth and I'd put Fenris in that game because yeah. I have no sense. I would do it anyway. You know, I think you should consider putting this. I I, I saw your Sims versions oh, of Dragon Age characters. You should put the Sims versions oh, of Fenris God. in the game. That's That's how it should go. So yeah. like with, with like the nice sweater on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except Sim, none of my Sim. It's like if I did put any of my Sims in there, they cannot be allowed near fire. They keep <laughs> murdering themselves and burning down the house trying to cook. I, I know, like Sims is a real gangster game. Like when it comes down to it, like I'm like how, how do you like how do you mess up mac and cheese to the point that death shows up for you? <laughs> like the Grim Reaper's like, yo, I want some mac and cheese. Right, um, and it's like, I'll take that soul, though, and then I'm going to hang out and watch ESPN, because that actually happened in my game. Are you serious? Oh my yeah, I had, I had a Sim burn themselves to death, even with a fire extinguisher and a fire alarm. <laughs> and death would just, like, after I pled with death, and death was like, sorry, this one's mine. Death, like, chilled on the couch for a while and wanted to have a conversation. <laughs> I was like, you get out of my house. Like, you killed my dude. Like. Wow. Can I at least, like, mourn the ashes and the sooty circle is left? Can, like, get out of my crib. Wow, what what an amazing game. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, if if I was to put a wrestler in here, I'd want someone really short. Because I kind of want the visual of, of, like, you grappling with someone that goes up to, like, your, like your knee, maybe. Um, and then just <laughs> okay. having that person just toss you. So I'm thinking... So like I'm thinking of like you know like like uh, uh, Mighty Mouse right? <laughs> from, from a back in the day, um, or, or or like even even get like much smaller and do like Ant Man or somebody. So oh, you're man. just like this small little gnat, just like suplexing people. Oh my god! Uh, and, and just throwing people around. Like I would, I I would totally love that. The beauty of this game is that you can have every possible dream match that you always wanted to and it's you could probably have that fight you could it's it, it feels like we were talking about this right before we came back on air uh after we came back on after the break was you know this would be the perfect salty bet game mm-hmm. uh if you're familiar if you're familiar with salty bet and uh mujin as the uh be all end all for dream matches in fighting games uh this seems like it would definitely be one of those things that would fit the bill for uh kind of setting those things up and letting letting people's imaginations run wild. So it's super cool that this is still a thing. I'm happy that they remade this game and brought it back out. Uh, I've been playing it. Um, I haven't had a chance to dig in yet and, and, and make any uh, new characters yet. But Steam Workshop is going to have me set for a very long time because I have to dig through 2,000 characters now <laughs> to, to find Coco Beware and to find a Junkyard Dog. And oh my also God. Jackie, Jackie Chan fighting in a, a bear suit. 
Man, so, I, I haven't heard Coco Beware in many, many years. I'm old and black. <laughs> old and black. Man, I was I was more of a junkyard dog, uh, junkyard dog fan in terms of my '80s black wrestlers. I, I, I feel I feel like I feel like I, I'm gonna look. The first thing I'm gonna look for is to see if there's a if there's a Virgil in there because <laughs> there has to be. There has to be a Virgil. Oh yeah, in I'm there. sure there's a Virgil. And it has to be a Harlem Heat in there. Because if there's no Harlem Heat, then this is all fake news. This is all garbage. Uh, it's true. If there's no hey, Harlem you know, Heat, if I, not, then I... If, if it hasn't been made, I'm sure like you've now put it out into the ether and it will be made. <laughs> there needs to be like 17 versions of Harlem Heat, including the one that said the racial epithet to Hulk Hogan. This guy... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a great clip. Yeah. It's the best thing on the planet. It's still so good. Still so good. Um... Talking about things that are still so good, uh, we want to let Tanya have the floor and talk about uh, some news that dropped that she wanted to share uh, with uh, everybody in Chicago and stuff that we heard on social media. And we were like, okay, word, word. We sad. We sad, but we we understand. We sad. Yeah. So go go ahead, Tanya. You got the floor. Oh, God. Uh, See, y'all are going to make me get all emotional now. Yes. Why why you let the girl get the mic? She's going to be all emotional and shit. Um, (laughs) So for those folks listening, um, I was part of a podcast, ran a podcast called Fresh Out of Tokens for two years, 95 episodes. And I'm going to tell myself and just be like, I hated editing audio. It was the bane of my existence. It was my kryptonite. Like, I cussed and cried a lot trying to edit audio. <laughs> Even got folks to help me because I just, it's not my strong suit. I'm a cop to that. But it also, you know, took away from the the anticipatory joy of doing new episodes. And mm. coupled with a lot of traveling and just feeling like I could not give listeners the quality that they would expect and want. I made the very difficult decision to end Fresh Out of Tokens. So I'm going to record. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. You both have been guests before, and it's been amazing. And honestly, Spawn on Me is part of the reason the show even existed. So thank you for that. Um, But, you know, rather than drag it out and, and come to resent doing the show altogether or not wanting to do it or kind of dread the, the post-production Despite the great conversations I got to have, I decided to kind of call it quits. So, going to record a farewell episode um, that'll that'll air next week or shortly after you all hear this episode. Um, you know, of thanks, of gratitude, and you know, it's it was hard, but it was the best decision to make. Because in case anyone listening to this decides to do a podcast, don't try to do it by yourself all at once. I'm just going to tell you now, <laughs> don't. Don't make that bad life decision. Um, <laughs> and granted, it was a decision made. The, the decision to go solo was not made lightly. And that was a that's a whole other thing that you got to buy me a lot of drinks to tell you the story. <laughs> um, but long story short, um, Tokens is going to end next week will be the final episode. So, you know, it's been a great two years. It's been a great run. But... That energy could be expended elsewhere and not on something where I am the sole person, both putting together the show, editing the audio, recording the audio, promoting it, etc. That is way too much for any one person to do. I don't cool. care how good the show is or, you know, what it is that you're trying to do. 
Unless you're doing very small bite-sized episodes. Don't try to do like an hour and a half every week by yourself. Mm. So yeah, now, that that's what's going on. Are you planning on keeping the older episodes available online? Yes. Um, freshoutoftokens.simplecast.fm will stay up. Um, you know, it's it's worth the money to, to keep the archive up because I don't have anywhere else to host it, honestly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's two years worth of episodes and two years worth of really hard work. Yeah, that... really great conversations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, you know, and thanks to David for, uh, you know, being around and helping out with those first episodes and, and being the audio person because, like I said, it is the bane of my existence. So... <laughs> Um, so yeah, everything's going to stay up as long as, as long as I got 20 bucks in my pocket, fresh out tokens, archives <laughs> will stay around. Well, I have to say again, you know, one of the things that I love about you is the fact that you will take on new things and you will try to push forward and you will try to take yourself out of your comfort zone. And I feel like tokens was a show that definitely hit some topics that, we weren't even able to get done really well. And you guys like you knocked it out. You like did phenomenal shows with some really amazing guests and brought up some really cool conversations that again, no one else was, was was hitting. No one else was talking about and no one hit the angles that you hit. So I I, I wanna applaud you and 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 congratulate you on absolutely bringing something to this space that was sorely needed um, and your take and your perspective and your ability to uh, look at a lot of the different angles that nobody was, was really trying to poke at brought something to this conversation that as long as the archives are here and even when they're, even if they ever do go away, people will remember those conversations as being ones that were really valid and really valuable to the space. So, you know, again, Thank you for, for, for taking the time and effort to put that into the world. Um, I know just reading the, the Twitter uh, chatter uh, when you made the announcement, how many people showed you love about, about what you had done. Um, and even though tokens will not be a thing anymore, um, your work continues and also your dopeness grows uh, <laughs> in, in all the things that you do. So, you know, mad, mad applause to you uh, again for, for, for making some really dope, dope content. So work. Thank you. Work. Um, so we are not going to end this episode <laughs> on a sad note, because that is not what happens here in Bricago. We, we do, we don't go out like that. Um, so in, in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, You've had we've had Tanya on a couple a couple of episodes prior to these past two episodes, and they've always been fantastic and they've always been um, great because, you know, I I believe, you know, when people talk about Tanya's work, I think that they don't even give her enough credit for the amount of effort that she puts in, the amount of time and and dedication that she has to her craft and also to um, her ability to to bring people to the table and bring conversations to the table that, um are really important and, and make and make everything better. Um, so we want to kind of help continue that effort. Um, and we're going to, we're going to bring Tanya on as a semi, semi regular guest. You'll probably see her come on uh, semi, semi regular host, I should say, uh, and come on and hang out with us even more. Uh, so we'll probably have you, you on probably biweekly yep. and see if we can 
add to your dopeness by giving you more uh, 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 abilities to share in some of the conversations that we have um, and bring uh, your dopeness to the table and, and, you know, fill in some of the conversation spots that we have blind spots on as well. Um, so, you know, everybody out there in Chicago, Tanya is going to be going to be helping us do some really dope work in the future. And we're, we're super excited that you're going to be a part of the fold. Yeah. Uh, so that's we're very really excited, excited about that. Very, very excited. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, like like I said, Tanya, like we both loved your work on Fresh Out Tokens, even way before yeah. Fresh Out Tokens and 90 Diverse Games, just the stuff that you've done and how welcoming you've been, like, you know, ever since I first met you, like you've always been super, super welcoming to people that you knew were down to, to do the work, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, that like you can add your, you know, very unique perspective to our show and like help us to see past a lot of, you know, stuff that we really can't see because, because, you know, as I said, like, you know, I feel like we do a great job of diversity in our show, but we're still like three, you know, three dudes, you know, and, and like a three, three, uh, three, uh, cisgender dudes and, and heterosexual, all that kind of stuff. So, so, so I just love that, that like we can add all these different perspectives and make it awesome. Um, so, um, definitely, definitely, definitely super happy to have you on. Well, thank you. It's exciting to, uh, to hang out with y'all on a more frequent basis and also yeah. even more exciting not to have to edit audio. I'm not even going to tell that lie. Hey, we well, have so, one of the best in the game behind the board. So like Kai didn't mention that like you're editing the show every week. Oh yeah. That was, that was, that was the part of the stipulation. Of, uh, oh, it's been nice knowing you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. For those that can't see me, I did the cactar pose as i ran off <laughs> you totally did like <laughs> uh, that's great yeah so that's again that's like that's the dopeness of, of of this kind of um collabo is the fact that you know you don't have to edit anymore <laughs> <laughs> you got you got you got dope editing coming in and, you, and we get to have you on uh more often with us so that's that's fantastic and super super excited to do that so everybody at home who's listening who is a fan of tokens and a fan of us You'll get to hear Tanya uh, more often uh, on our show, so that's going to be really dope. And uh, we hope that you like that. We hope that that's the thing that you that you are going to enjoy. And let us know on social media and all the other stuff about what you think about this new collabo that's going to happen uh, going forward. So we're about to get up out of here. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna make Sharif do the social media business because that's what that's what I'm gonna do. do. I do it voluntarily. Oh shit! You took away my power by being fucking nice. Exactly. That's I hate you. That's that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> so spawnon.me is the website that will link out to most of the things that we do. Um, that's where we have all our our entire archive information on us as I co-host. Um, Spawn for good stuff. Um, all the stuff that we are at. If you go to spawnon.me, you can check it out there. If you want to follow us on Twitter. You can go to at spawn on me and that'll also link out to our individual Twitter accounts as well. Um, and we also have a Facebook page, um, which is spawn on me podcast as well. So if you search for that, that will bring you to the Facebook page and then you can like share and all that good stuff. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg will like you very much. Um, <laughs> um, we like also usually share the like show link on like overcast, which is a, a um, podcast reader, but 
obviously we are av- available on like all the big podcast syndic- syndication places. So like if you want to go to iTunes or or like a or, or or like Google Music or NPR One as well, and just type in "Spawn on Me," then like you should be able to get all of our episodes and be notified when the new ones come out um, and all that good stuff. And if you want to send us an email with any questions, concerns, comments, uh, all that stuff, just, just type in spawn on me podcast, um, at gmail.com, shoot that over to us. Um, and then we can respond accordingly. Yep. We will send you wonderful responses back with a signature that has people's names on it. That's right. Just like email does. That's right. That's the way it works. Word, word, word. Tanya, before we get up out of here, share your social media business with the world. Sure. Most easily found at Cypher of Tear, which is C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. You can also find me over at I Need Diverse Games. The Twitter for that is I Need D-I-V-G-M-S. Otherwise, look up I Need Diverse Games.org. And I'm going to actually be home so if you tweet at me, I will actually see what you have to say until Gen Con. Oh, that's okay. That's great. I feel like I feel like that's one of those things like you need a you need a health meter above your Twitter avatar that's like Tanya is closer to home now. Yeah. Like I need how one. close you are to your actual I, house. I mean that traveling is tiresome, man. Super tiring. Look, yeah, yeah. I can't ever do a never again April twenty seventeen times because I was like, I'm gonna die. Oh wait! Before before we go, you got two of your panels uh, got accepted, right? Did you say that already? Uh, not on the show, no. So for those that may be at PAX Dev, which um, happens the two days before PAX West in uh, Seattle, I'm going to be doing um, two panels. One which is designed to be more of a takeaway. Here's how to do some diversity, and and not just the G. We need diversity. This is we're trying to give developers some takeaways to go back to their studio with and go, okay, this is important. This is how I can facilitate this conversation. And Mm. the other panel actually is adapted from a panel I did at GamerX 4, um, thanks to David Gator, who let me steal his panel idea. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one of the things, and I'm sure we all see it because we're all fans, in addition to, uh, to being, you know, gamers and in the space, is the way that fans and creators don't always interact in the best way. So um, the idea for that one is to talk to to a dev perspective of ways in which you can manage fan interaction um, because you don't want to be the creator that winds up being that person that gets talked about and dragged because you don't realize simple, you know, manners or you dismiss people or, Ways to have a productive conversation between you as a creator and fans that come to you with either issues, legitimate complaints, and this is not entertaining the usual bullshit angry folks. Mm-hmm. This is the, this fan has come to me with a concern about representation or what have you. How can I as a creator have that productive conversation? That's a very Ooh, that's gonna be panel. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. That's going to be real cool. Damn it, you make me want to go to PAX Dev. Damn it. Oh. Well, I mean, you could go to PAX Dev, but it ain't going to be cheap. Um, my, my GoFundMe page is not just playing. <laughs> look, <laughs> look, as much as it's going to cost me to go to Seattle for a week, I might legit have one out there soon. So Jeez. You might have to start selling some uh, Fire Pro Wrestling characters online. <laughs> some money I, to I'll make you a design character. ourselves. 
<laughs> Austin Walker already has one, so there's this there's, there's that. Nice. Uh, so, <laughs> so, word. Uh, lots of things to look forward to in the far future and the not too far future. Uh, again, this is going to be really cool going down this path. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, definitely want to hear your thoughts about this new juncture uh, in the Bricago land and beyond. Uh, let us know on all the places that Reef just let you know are out there. Um, and until then, uh, see you. We'll be back hopefully next week. Uh, love you, see. And we'll be back and we'll be safe. Peace. Peace. Later.